Hello, I'm Oliver Wong. And I'm Morgan Rhodes. You're listening to Heat Rocks. Every episode, we invite a guest to join us to talk about a heat rock, you know, fire, flammables, an album that bumps eternally. And today, we're forming into an army of one to revisit an album that turns 25 years old. Damn, this year, Bjork's sophomore smash, Post. Marsha Norman, the Pulitzer Prize-winning playwright, says, quote, Dreams are illustrations from the book your soul is writing about you. End quote. I like that. Bjork's sophomore album post feels like an illustration from the book your dreams are writing about you. Dreams, though, written in technicolor, directed by Spike Jones, mm. scored by John Williams and Massive Attack, informed by your subconscious and your secrets and your loins and a good day. <laughs> Everything's present on this offering. Bjork's signature growl, sweeping chords and the mixed media that is dramatic orchestration, beats, percussive elements, and the moves she makes sonically, from whisper to yell to dropping some old jewels on you while you're caught up in some beautifully arranged revelry. She said of this album that she wanted to be musically promiscuous. I love that. And side note, that's about to be my new turn of phrase. <laughs> but on post, we got the jazz, shouts to tribe. Mm. We got hip hop, hyper ballads, and trip hop. Of course, there's trip hop. It's 1995, <laughs> and that's the wave. It's the tone and tempo all over the album. Why? It's tricky. Shouts out to Run oh, DMC. Look at you. This album, like its predecessor and its progenies, is complex. What we have come to expect and love from Iceland's favorite, favorite star. Post is fire. And as much as I definitely enjoy solitude, I wouldn't mind perhaps spending a little time with you and Oliver and our guests to talk about it. Will we convince you it's a heat rock? Possibly. Maybe. Admiring your lover, I keep calm. Post was the album pick of our guest today, pop culture writer, nay maven, Emily Yoshida. Mm -hmm. I first got to know her writing about seven or eight years ago when she was both a writer for the much-beloved Grantland website, as well as the co-host of Girls with Hoodies, the podcast she used to do with Molly Lambert, another gifted cultural critic. Emily would decamp for New York City for about half the 20 teens, where she wrote for The Vulture, Elle, and Vanity Fair, amongst other outlets, and for about the last year and change, she has come back to Los Angeles, where she belongs. <laughs> and she has since been reunited with Molly, along with Tess Lynch, for the Night Call podcast, where they talk all things pop culture, past and present. And oh, yeah, she's also a maker and writer of moving images, having co-written, co-directed and co-starred in the 2011 indie film Salad Days. And most recently directed the music video for the song Lucky 88 by Speedy Ortez. She's also wrapped up writing the remake, the reboot, whatever you want to call it, of James Carvel's Shogun. Shouts mm. out to 1980s Richard Chamberlain <laughs> miniseries. Wow. Emily Yoshida, welcome to Heat Rocks. Thank you so much for having me. I felt like I'm on This Is Your Life. I was like, <laughs> wow, I forgot about salad days. <laughs> well, speaking of This Is Your Life, 
Why Post? And what was, how did you encounter this album? This album was the first Bjork album that I owned a physical copy of. Okay. Um, I have a very strong memory of buying this one. Um, kind of in, and, and I came to it, you know, several years after its release because I was sort of, you know, I'm young, I'm a baby, I guess. But, um, but you know, it was that, that kind of era where I was just taking all of all of my spare change and taking it down to the used record store in downtown Iowa City and combing through the stacks of stuff and picking up things that I had just heard of but maybe not heard. And but Bjork, I was familiar with. Bjork was one of the first artists that I sought out on Napster when Napster. <laughs> ah. <laughs> we are taking it back here. <laughs> Oh man! So I had a smattering of like random tracks, a few off of Homogenic. Um, I think I had, um, I think I had Isabel off of this. Mm-hmm. I but I had no context for any of these things. It was just like I know I like Bjork. I'm interested in Bjork, and then I I finally got my hands on like an actual full album that I could listen to all the way through, and so it was sort of my first love with her. Um, I didn't get a Homogenic till later, um, which you know I think is widely agreed upon and probably accurately agreed upon to be your best album. But this one is like my sentimental favorite. Right. Now, when you were looking through that Iowa City record store, were you specifically hunting for Post or it just happened to cross your eye and you're like, oh, yeah, I've been meaning to get some Bjork. Here it is. There was the Bjork section in in the in the stacks, and you know I only had a few spare dollars at a time, so I was like, okay, well, once a used copy lands in there, I'm gonna I'm gonna snag it, and so when as soon as I, as soon as I saw one there, I got it. It was probably like seven dollars or something like that. Yeah. But yeah, Ugh, I'm so nostalgic even thinking about it. <laughs> well, you just mentioned that you think that in terms of the kind of consensus around Bjork's sprawling catalog, that homogenic tends to rank pretty high. It, to the top. And we certainly talked a little bit about this in our episode with Serpent with Feet about that album back in the summer of 2018. But you just also said, Emily, that for you, though, Post is the sentimental favorite. So what is it about Post that has struck a chord and kept with you these last 20 plus years? I've been thinking about this a lot. I think I was thinking, for whatever reason, I was thinking about being a theater kid when I was listening to Bjork a lot and first acquainting myself with Bjork. And also, you know, a musical theater kit to a certain degree. And I think that this is her most Broadway album. That's not the reason that I love it, but it is, I think, the reason that I found it easy to read and easy mm. to kind of like wrap my head around. Um, it's very theatrical. I think her singing on this album I, is one of the biggest, at least how it's recorded, is the biggest change from from debut. Yeah, You can really just hear her like gnawing on every single syllable and every single consonant and it's just so it makes you like love her not just as like a vocal performer but as like a theatrical and dramatic performer as well and um i think that's one of the first things i really noticed about it um yeah it's just got this very you know yeah it's got all these different genres in it but also has this like sweep and all these strings and stuff the first time the strings come in and um i guess in hyper ballad that's that's when you're like, oh, we're we're in a movie now. <laughs> right, right. Yeah.
I've always had this memory of Post being my favorite Bjork album, but I realize it's not because I actually sat with the album. It's because the person that I was dating in the late 90s loved the album and would play certain songs off of it in heavy rotation. So I got used to hearing things like army of me and yeah. it's, it's it's oh so quiet but then i realized actually prepping for today's <laughs> for today's taping i'd only heard half the album because the other half i didn't recognize and i realized she had mixed in stuff from homogenic and stuff from debut so coming to this i do have to say though and having gone back and, and re-listened to parts of our episode on homogenic you know the whole notion of that album was about it being homogenous and that we one of the things we talked about with serpent with feet is how you can kind of just drop yourself at any point into that album and it kind of feels like you're already there. And, and that's given the, the consistency of the sound, which is, of course, what Bjork was going for. But for me, I think I've always, even though I understand why homogenic is more of the critical choice, I've always loved Post because of the diversity of sound on it and that it switches styles from track to track. And, and Morgan, I really thought you nailed this in your intro in terms of all the different influences that are rolling through here. Was this a Bjork album that you were bumping back in the day? Yes, and it's my preferred to Homogenic. I prefer this album because I felt closer to Bjork. This feels more intimate. Mm. Um, homogenic feels conceptual right. to me. Yeah. And this one feels like she's talking about a lot of stuff. And there are parts of it like, damn, Bjork, is this your business? And am I in your business? <laughs> but that's what I love about the album, that this is about intimacy mm. and and it's contemplative and and it's heavy all while you're like should i be rocking out with her because she's talking about throwing herself off a cliff and um but i but i love this but i know that people prefer homogenic right this might be difficult or impossible to answer but you know in thinking about what you're just saying morgan about the intimacy of this album because for me when i listen to post what i hear from it is this is bjork trying out a lot of different characters. Mm -hmm. And this kind of goes back to what you were saying, Emily, about as a, as a potential musical theater uh, kid, that something about this album, the performance of it is something that really rings true in terms of going from song to song. And so a song like possibly maybe on paper, you know, it's very coy. It's very cute. Maybe it's about a relationship ship she's in, but I have a hard time imagining that that's actually Bjork talking about her personal life. To me, this is Bjork, making a presentation or a performance of someone talking about their, their personal life. And maybe just because I associate her with just being enigmatic, which is probably one of the more overused cliches people sure. said about her. But I don't, Emily, what, what was your thought of with Post? I do find it to be a really intimate album. And I think, I, and Homogenic is more conceptual just in terms yeah. of like, I don't know, like I, I think of Bjork as like one of these great scholars of love and relationships. Like she just has so many little gems of perfect little phrases that, capture what it's like to be in a specific moment of a relationship um, and particularly of like a love relationship and I think that like possibly maybe is is weirdly it feels like a dark horse like favorite on this album but I love Same it just thought. yeah because it's it actually like it's, it's like this map of an entire relationship mm -hmm. and like through the specifics like one of the most insane Bjork lines is I suck my tongue in, in remembrance of you, which is like, <laughs> right. and I like, I like, I remember like not understanding that the first time I, I listened to this album and then like later being like, oh yeah, I totally know what that means. Like, um, and it's just so, it's so observant. It's so, it's got its, it's got its eyes on the, on the details and on the really intimate details of, of, of an emotional relationship. 
And I and I say intimate too because it's 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 to me there are parts of it that are overtly sens- uh, sexual and sensual like yeah. like enjoy no doubt and I don't think that's performative but it, but tricky also produced that so it all makes mm-hmm. sense right right it's got it, it it reminds me a little bit of of Max and Kay you know so it has it has those elements so that that's why I thought I, what I say about getting caught up in the revelry is that by the time you realize that's what she said on the track yeah you're like well damn. <laughs> You know, and she's saying some stuff, especially in Enjoy. Right. It's yeah. a little, like, you know, low-key explicit in there. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like there was something that she had to excise from debut, like the sort of pixie image and everything. Like coming in with something like Army of Me is such a strong statement to, Like after that album. Right. Yeah, but yeah. then you can get into those really intimate emotional moments with like a new context. It's not just like it's not cute anymore. Right. It's like very real. Um, and yeah, I love that. Yeah. I mean, we're already bouncing off a couple of the, the key tracks off of here, but just to stay on this on Army of Me for a moment, you know, you talk about the history of powerful first songs to lead off. Of oh, <laughs> I mean, to Emily's point, I mean, this is like statement with a capital S. <laughs> I mean, for 1995, this is a year that it has no shortage of of hard music. I'm just thinking, just in the realm of hip hop. Sure, this is is above and beyond most of what else was coming out in '95. I mean, right. you got those John Bonham, Led Zeppelin drums yeah. in the background, just the industrial like yeah, of the yeah. guitar, and then Bjork's voice somehow perfectly as a razor's edge within it. And this is again. If you want to shed the pixie image, you want to get away from sort of people's memories of the sugar cubes, like this is Start as, this way. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. And, and this was written for her brother, who apparently had been tripping. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> this is Bjork's way of being like, you know, pull up, pull your stuff together. You out here on your portnoy. So if you're going to continue to do this, you're going to deal with this army of me, which is so gully. But, yeah. I mean, on top of it being aggressive sonically. It's just if I'm her brother, I'm like <laughs> you're going to have to deal with an army of me. That is That's hard, Ill, right? That is hard. Come on, Bjork. She's like pixie these. Okay, <laughs> I'm in an army now. So that's one of my favorite tracks. Oh too. yeah, hell of an opener. You're on your own now. We won't save you. You're. I feel like eventually we have to talk about the videos because I think Bjork is such a video, obviously such a video artist. But and I and my my memory and and you know when I think about the song, I so instantly think of the um, that was a Gondry, yeah, that was a Gondry video of of her in the truck. Right. Um, but like her again, like coming back to the performance, like as we like kind of swoop in on her and the, the body of this enormous sort of like almost like it looks like it's about to fall apart, like semi truck. She's like 
dead eyed, like badass looking in, in the in the front in the front mirror or the front window, and, and it almost like feels like a black metal performance or something. Yeah. It's so like dead serious, and it's 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 super exhilarating. I think even when she's in is that the dentist dentist office or the doctor's office, yeah. and the gorilla's in there, <laughs> and there's like a little stare down. I'm like, yeah. Bjork's going to win, though. <laughs> Bjork is going to win. And yep. so funny, the YouTube link to that video, one of the first comments is, Billie Eilish's videos are so complex. And someone writes, Bjork writes, hold my swan. <laughs> 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 like, yo, I've been complex. You yep. know what I mean? Yeah. Can we come back to Bjork's voice? Because this is something we certainly have spent a lot of time talking about distinctive voices on the show, right? Yeah. Everyone from Aretha to Minnie Ripperton to Nat King Cole most recently. And I realize I kind of feel like we actually kind of missed talking about Bjork's voice on that homogenic episode because we actually ended up talking about stripping with Feet's vocal performance. But we kind of missed like actually getting into Bjork. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is just one observation and it really came to me and it's not well thought out. So I'm just going to pre-qualify that. You know, generally speaking, in the U.S., the kind of pop artists and the voices that we're exposed to tend to be either um, usually our, our American accent, for lack of a better word, maybe a little bit of Britishism thrown in. I can't think of outside of Jamaican artists and maybe a couple of Spanish language artists who've crossed over. But for the most part, how many pop artists of Bjork's stature sing primarily, if not almost exclusively in English? but with such a distinctive accent. Right. And because yeah. we're just so used to not hearing that, it never occurred to me until listening to this album that, yeah, that's actually one of the really unusual things is that her accent is very thick. Not yeah. like you can't understand her, but it's such a distinctive part of it in addition to all of the gymnastics she's doing in terms of breath control and just how she uses volume and all these other things. And so that was just my thought on her voice. What comes to mind for each of you when you think about Bjork's voice, especially on this album? Yeah, I think... Um like every time she rolls an R, it's like, okay, you could try to make your voice more palatable, but like that's an instrument in of its in and of itself. It adds this texture to it. Every time she does like a I, all the consonants on this uh, on this album were so crunchy to me. I love them. It's like every every like sound is just so it's percussive. Like she's using it like a, a percussive instrument in yeah. addition to her vocals, and I think she recognizes that it's a tool. Um, th- that it doesn't ne- necessarily just need to be a conveyance of lyrics. Um, and yeah, she does it more distinctively than most other people I could think of. Mm. I know. think her voice, um, she has choices and her voice has a personality. Mm. And sometimes when she's whispering or singing in that soprano, I think she lulls you into a false sense of security. And while you're asleep, then she growls and mm-hmm. you're like, oh, oh, damn, we're going here. There are just different characters. To your point, she's a character. She's got characters inside of her voice voice as well mm-hmm. and that shows up on on every song N- nobody else can do that and all the people that have come come after her that we think are similar like amber kaufman dirty projector fka twigs grimes or for that matter billy eilish they ain't got that in their pocket no <laughs> close <laughs> but no cigar yeah nobody's like screaming no nope. right. she's like lets out at least two screams to my memory on this album that are just full-on like high-pitched screams right. primal and otherwise yeah. and 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 it's and it's not sticky or gimmicky no if somebody did that right now, you'd be like, what are you on, right? <laughs> but in 1995, when Bjork was doing it, and since then, we just accept that as part of what, what she gives, mm-hmm. and it just feels authentic and real. Falling in 
when I was listening to this album in prep for the chat, I had been thinking like, Bjork's got to do like a straight ahead jazz album. Mm -hmm. And she did do a jazz album, right? It's called Gling Glow. But it's so interesting that I don't think people would normally associate Bjork with jazz. But to me, that's this is one of my favorite tracks on the album, and her voice is perfect for jazz covers. Well, I mean, I love It's So So Quiet. The video, the song, it's certainly the out of her catalog. And, and I'm a little embarrassed maybe that it's one of my favorites, only because I feel like it's it feels almost engineered to be somebody's favorite because it's different so different than the other stuff that she's done it's such a showy i mean literally like a show tune um but it's great i mean just Yo. listening to her hush you is like please do that more you know it's like asthma before i discovered asthma you know um but to your point i actually would have a hard time imagining not that i can't imagine her doing a jazz album Right, because everyone at some point, especially who has notable vocals, does one, especially when they reach a certain age, especially when they're women, whatever. But I just kind of feel like Bjork is not the type that would sit down to do that. It just seems it seems very un-Bjork-like. A single song, and I think the lore behind this is this the last song she recorded for Post, specifically because she wanted to, like, F with people's heads. Sure. But I don't see her sitting down and saying, like, yeah, I'm just going to do, like, the Johnny Mercer songbook because I can it just, it, that just seems very off-brand for her somehow. Well, I think she probably would name it something else, so you'd be completely confused, <laughs> <laughs> right? So you wouldn't even know it was a jazz album. Yeah. And I think because it's Bjork, I think she would just bring something completely different to the table. And I thought all the shushing and all that stuff was like a Bjork thing. I didn't realize Betty Hutton had done the same mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. It's oh so still, shh, shh, you're all alone. And so peaceful until you fall in love. Zing, boom, the sky up above. Zing, Yo, Betty's isn't that bad, but Bjork just takes it to another level. And once you see the video, Bjork's right. got one old soft shoe in there, and there's like a, a huge moment with everybody dancing. Bjork's tapping out. I'm like, yo. <laughs> a nice crane shot at the end. <laughs> I Fantastic. I have a confession, which is that this is actually lower on my list of Bjork songs in general. Um, what? I, I think Let's it talk is, about this now. I World think star. that it is. I know. World star. <laughs> I think it's one of the... I, I think it's somehow became her one of her most recognizable songs. Sure. It's certainly the only songs usually available at karaoke if you want to do karaoke. But I and and I say this even having like a very affectionate history with it because I once won a lip sync contest with this song, um, <laughs> where I got lifted off the stage at the end, kind of in like a mirroring of the video. Um, I love the video, but I I don't know. I think it feels. And I guess its its use on the album is that it does feel like a kind of contained concept in and of itself you right. get you get into it and you get out of it, but for me, it does make sense like knowing that it was the last al- or last uh, song recorded for the album because it does feel as much as dis- as disjointed in a good way. I think a lot of the album feels that one does feel like a genuine like drop in from another universe right. and i I don't dislike the song, but I would say that like 
I probably skip it more often than、Ooh. other songs on Post. I will say, yeah. <laughs>、so、yeah. Is this from? Is it overly familiar to you? Is it because you just feel like it's too popular, and therefore, you know what? Yeah, I don't know. It's just like I'm. It's something that I would watch a performance of it and be thrilled. Yeah. But I don't know if I'm just like blasting in my car, you know,、mm-hmm. <laughs> like, as I've been doing while I, you know, prepare for this podcast,、right. just riding around listening to listening to posts. But sometimes it's just not the one <laughs> for that context or at home. But yeah, I don't know. Well, two things. We're going to need that footage from、uh, oh, the contest.、Yeah. There's if you have photos. Oh. <laughs> yeah, we're talking YouTube right. Yeah,、now. we're going to need that. We're, we're going to need that. Put that on TikTok. That. Yeah. Okay. We're going to need that. Maybe pre YouTube. It、okay. might have been pre YouTube. No, you're, no, no. You're hoping that it is. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. I <laughs> it's respect that. It's on the cusp. <laughs> and is and is it just the song, or is it where the song came in this album? If it had come in a different place in the album, yeah, would、maybe. you feel differently about I it? I don't know. I don't know if it's just a sequencing thing. I think for me, maybe the association is more like I feel like, and I, again, I say this affectionately. It is the swan dress of Bjork songs. It's the thing that everybody <laughs>、yeah. knows about,、yeah. and so when people are like. Oh, you're a Bjork fan. Oh, like Swandress,、like, right. and it's so so quiet. It's、right. like, yeah, yeah, of course. Like, I love both of those things、right. very much, but it goes deeper for me. Like, I don't know. It's it's like an entry point, and I think it's a great entry point too.、Right. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, no. See, this affirms why I'm low key a little bit embarrassed that I like the song so much because I feel like、Same. it is the one song that everyone by that who, everyone who says they like Bjork likes that song, but it's a little maybe just. It's a little too basic, but it's as well established. I have the most basic taste、right. in general, so of course this also, is going to be the song off here I really like. A、so. basic Bjork song is like not saying that That's much. That's true. <laughs> That's true. We're talking about the voice. Let's get into some of the production side of it.、Okay. And、um, you know, in my in the five minutes I spent researching the background behind it, I thought it was really interesting to note that Bjork had wanted to reteam with the producer who had、uh, done most of the work on debut, which is Nellie Hooper. And Hooper basically said, "You should go and do this yourself." And basically turned her down, not because he didn't want to work with her, because he felt like she should go, really go off on her own. And so the compromise is that she ended up co-producing the entire album. But then working with a whole range of co-producers, some of whom Morgan name-checked during the、uh, the intro, including Tricky, Howie B, Graham、yep. Macy of 808 State, which I think goes a very long way to explaining that range of different sounds and styles on the album. So, in terms of the production choices and just the kind of not so much even disparity—that's not the right, wrong way to put it—but just the fact that you have from song to song these kind of jarring shifts. It seems to work really well in the way that I can imagine under somebody else's uh, uh, performance. It may not come together in the same way it does on post. I think this this album, for me especially, kind of with homogenic, but this one I feel like has its more tentacles and more things.、Um, was sort of a gateway to a lot of my music taste. Later on, I got much more into electronic music、mm-hmm. and and some trip hop and stuff like that、um, as a teen. Around then. Um, and it, it is a sort of—I mean, it's it's very useful for that because, especially as like a young listener, I mean, it's a great way to get exposed to all this and like and and like very very good and interesting renditions of all of these genres too.、Um, yeah, I think I think that 
Hyper Ballad particularly was one track that I, I mean, it, you know, it is a stone cold classic. It is also like the first thing where I was like, oh, I think I like dance music a lot because I got into this album before <laughs> debut. So then I went back and got into debut and I was like, I love this mode of her so much. And um, it's great. Do you feel like, you know, out of Bjork's albums, like if you had to turn someone onto Bjork, is this the album? Oh, is this the album that you'd say, yo, mm. don't go too deep with it, but just if you, this is Bjork 101, is this the album? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Because I think it's got, it's got, it's a, this nice little medium point between uh, debut and homogenic. Yeah. Um, I think that homogenic is like something you can't drop on people right away. You have to like gear <laughs> yeah. them up for it. Yeah. I would even put somebody on it to Vespertine before this. Um, mm. And that that's a sex record. Um, but I think that this one kind of gives you an idea of like who this artist is and what she's going to be exploring for the next like several decades. Mm. And um, yeah, and it's just adventurous and, and there's something for everybody, I feel like. More approachable, because I think if you try and hit someone with Volta or right. Vespertine, oh, yeah. they're going to be like, nah, son. I mean, uh-huh. I also think Post is the most pop literate of her albums. Yeah, Because yeah. really, starting with Homogenic, you know, Morgan, you described it as a concept album. I feel like every album she's made since then, and, and I might be misrepresenting maybe a couple in there, but I feel like most of the albums after that are all concept albums. Yeah. And Post is really more... I'm going to flex and I'm going to flex in all these different ways. I'm going to work with anyone I want to. And you're going to get served all these different styles of me. And it's more approachable, I think, um, for for the layman who's new to to Bjork. I think this is a great place to start because it's not so complicated that you'll isolate. Someone's going to have a jam on here no matter what genre you are. Oh, yeah. And there are like at least three of her best songs of all time on it, too. So it's not even like, I mean, it sounds like I'm saying like it's a 101 type thing, but it's got some of her best stuff she's ever done. So, yeah, it's great. We will be back with more of our conversation with Emily Yoshida about Bjork's post after a brief word from our Max Fun podcast siblings. Keep it locked. This is your captain with an update from the flight deck. We'll be reaching Max Fun Drive on March 16th. That's right on time. As a reminder, Max Fun Drive runs for just two weeks, and it's the best time of year to support the podcasts you love. If you look towards the front, you'll see your favorite hosts with special bonus content and lovely thank you gifts for new and upgrading monthly members. Now, sit back, relax, and catch up on your favorite Max Fun shows now so you can listen to the new episodes releasing March 16th. And thanks again for choosing Maximum Fun. Hey, you've reached Dr. Game Show. Leave your message after the beep. Hi, this is Sarah, and I'd like to tell you about Dr. Game Show. Dr. Game Show is a band of geniuses or nerds or brilliant artists or kids or some combination of all of those who get together to make a show like no other that's family-friendly. It's an interactive call-in game show podcast. When I found Dr. Game Show, I found joy. I told my friends and family that if they weren't listening, they were wasting joy. I sent them the episodes that made me laugh until I cried, played it for them in the car. They laughed, too, laughed their butts off. But they still don't listen on their own, so they're wasting joy. And I keep looking for someone to understand me. Maybe it's you. Give Dr. Game Show a listen and find joy. Listen to Dr. Game Show on Maximum Fun. New episodes every other Wednesday. Yo, and we're back on Heat Rocks, and we're talking Bjork's 1995 post. 
with Emily Ishida. Emily, if I can take us on a brief tangent. Even though Heat Rocks is a music podcast, uh, I think I speak for both Morgan and I when we say that we are not musical supremacists. We embrace right. all forms of pop culture. That's right. And looking over your writing background, you are about as omnivorous as a person I've ever encountered. <laughs> and so as someone who has his big tent for all forms of, of pop culture, past and present, right now, what are you most excited about in terms of whether it's music, television, movies, anything else? Like what, what has got you hyped in 2020 in terms of pop culture? Oh, my God. That's such a hard question to answer. I always feel overwhelmed by all pop culture. And I feel like I go through waves where it's like, oh, this is a year where I was paying more attention to music. Right. Or this is a year where I was paying more attention to film. I've been a film critic for the last couple of years. Um, I, I, I ended my position at uh, New York Magazine a little over a year ago um, or about a year ago. But I think that movies just continue to surprise me and delight me. They're mm. kind of my first love. And I think I think this year, this past year especially, like as many kind of fights and contentious moments there, there were over certain releases last year, it really feels like film is opening up in a way that I feel like I kind of have a little bit of a stake in as like a person who's creative now too. But just mm. getting to see other people really like flex and have their moment like Lulu Wong with the farewell mm -hmm. like um and even like Parasite getting the getting the Oscar and stuff it's just like I do feel like it's going to become a more like in a mainstream way a more global medium even more going forward and that's super exciting to me because you know I feel like in the past it's always been like you kind of divide your interest in film between your mainstream blockbuster stuff and finding the redeeming qualities in it and like, you know, kind of studying it more as like a social phenomenon. Right. And then there's the art film and the, the, the independent film that you really love. It's like the good stuff. But now I feel like, I feel like there's more possibility for that stuff to have a, a more of a platform, more of an audience now. Mm. So that's super exciting. Mm. Yeah. See, I would have imagined you might have said television only because, number yeah. one, you just finished working on a television show. But also, and I'm certainly by no means the, the first person to make this observation, is that now that we are neck deep in the, the streaming network wars, the amount of, of serialized content that's being developed is just – I mean, it's, it's almost impossible to wrap one's head around. But there's so much television to absorb out there. and just kind of endlessly surprising delights to be found. And again, not that that doesn't exist in movies or in music, certainly, or in video games or whatever else, but television just seems to be such a rich field that everyone seems to be wanting to get in on. Yeah. I mean, I, I had my first experience working on a TV show this, this past half year and it was, it was great. And I feel like I learned so much about writing that I wouldn't have ever gotten to learn otherwise. I think there is a thing about TV though, and the reason it will always come second to film to me is that – and you learn this if you ever like pitching somebody on something, which is that like you're essentially having – you have to – like a TV is business first and foremost. And like you have to make a business plan if you're going to make a TV show. Mm -hmm. And so I think that automatically kind of – it it means that a TV show has to be a certain kind of pursuit, a certain mm -hmm. kind of thing. And I love limitations. I love when people like take limitations and go nuts within them and like the best TV shows are like that. But I think I think for ultimate like you know no limits 
artistic pursuits. It, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Feature filmmaking, short filmmaking, I, like all kinds of filmmaking. I wanted to be like a music video director when I was in film school, mm-hmm. largely inspired by a lot of these Bjork videos. Um, mm-hmm. No doubt. And it just felt like such a wide open kind of format to work in. Yeah. Since I opened this lane, Morgan, I'm curious as someone who works extensively on music and television, do you have a preference of medium? You know, I get asked this a lot, a lot, a lot. See, they're, they're, I'm being basic again. Just <laughs> yeah, no, it's the obvious question. It's, it, it's, it's, no, it's not basic. It's just I started my career in film, and so I thought my whole career was going to be in film. Yeah. And then I realized all the immediate gratification of television, mm. which is informed by social media. So mm. you get to see what, how people feel about your content you know, as it's airing. Mm-hmm. I still think film has a sexiness to it mm-hmm. and an elegance to it that I think um, not that TV doesn't doesn't always get close to because mm-hmm. for every wonderfully creative, deep thing, you've got some, and I'm not going to name check because we're airing this, but you know the TV shows where you're like, who greenlit this? Like, this is <laughs> what is this? You know? And I still think film has that elegance, you know, as a music supervisor, it's wonderful to have more time to work on a film. TV's fast. Yeah. 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 And so um, I, I love the stroke that comes with television because you get to see yeah. how people feel about the music because they can Shazam and they can go to Tune yeah. Find and yeah. find out. No one pulls out their phone in a film because then you just look like a buster. Right. And everyone's like, can you turn your volume down? Why do you have your phone out? So you don't know how people feel about the music that you've chosen yeah. chosen later. Yeah. To that end, though, I'd like to know as someone that works in TV, which song off of Post do you think is the most ready for prime time? Mm. Oh. Ooh, I like this. Um, oh, this. I mean, I think that I think possibly maybe is probably the thing that I could most. It's funny. I, I remember imagining that like this song took place in a bubble bath, and then you go see the video, and she's in a freaking bubble bath, and it's like there's something so evocative about it. I actually think there are parts of the video that are like too literal and on the nose, but um, but that feeling, it feels like being like in a cocoon. Like the it, it is one of these videos where the visuals kind of perfectly reflect how kind of tactile the song feels. Yeah, yeah. My heart's Can you offer me love like that? I'm exhausted. Leave me alone. I'm almost certain that my introduction to the song was not actually the Bjork song, but it's because a year after this album comes out, DJ Shadow samples Possibly Maybe on introducing. Mm, yeah. And so when I first heard Possibly Maybe, I'm like, holy cow, he got that from Bjork? I, yeah. I just assumed he dug it out of some random nah. ambient 1970s album, and that was a real trip. Yeah. That's probably the one that I would like. I, I could I could lay into a film most easily. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 
I mean, I when I when I was listening to Army of Me, I was just imagining that it sounds like something that would be at the beginning of a David Fincher film from the late nineties, oh, early two yeah. thousands. Oh, yeah. oh, but yeah. that's not necessarily a compliment because I just feel like it almost <laughs> that almost becomes cliche at this right, point. Right. But it does have like opening credits, you know, vibes to it in right. that sense. Or like in the trailer for Girl with a Dragon Tattoo or something. Exactly. Like something oh, very yeah. Scandinavian and metal. There you yeah, go. Yeah. <laughs> yep. 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 So now Morgan, you gotta answer this question. What would you place? Uh, it would have been Army of Me. Okay. It would have been Army of Me. What context? Uh, Sex scene. <laughs> <laughs> now, you you know my mother is going to be sorry, listening, I'm sorry. listening to sorry. this. But, you know, I probably would try and do something. I would try and probably try and make that ironic and funny. Okay. So, Emily, <laughs> to, you said earlier that this album has three of either your favorite or the best Bjork songs. So I'm assuming one of them is Army of Me. Yeah. What were the other two? Hyper ballad. Okay. Um, and I go back and forth. I, I think of I think of possibly maybe and I miss you kind of as a pair. Mm. I feel like they belong together. Mm. They're very different sounding, but I think that they're this weird sort of time loop about like kind of mapping a relationship. The tense of I miss you is, you know, the whole the whole concept of the film is like that this relationship hasn't happened yet, but she's she's remembering it. Uh which is, I feel like, a thing that Carly Rae Jepsen stole for um, Call Me Maybe. <laughs> she probably did. Um, but she yeah, did. yeah. She, just, was, she wasn't listening to Bjork back then. She was too young. She might. She's I could be older wrong. than you think oh, okay. she is. All right, see, I was, I was misled. <laughs> right. misled. Um, it's a great song, but like, I remember people. The, the line is like, "Before you came into my life, I missed you so bad." Mm-mm-mm. And I was like. Bjork, Bjork was already on that, right. but yeah, <laughs> but um, but yeah, this sort of um, I just think it's such a lovely kind of couplet that they form together of, of just kind of being before and after a relationship and in it and kind of how it all in the music in the songs they kind of run together and it's just it very. feels very it, and it, it runs the gamut of every single emotion that you feel over the course of a relationship from like screaming with excitement and anticipation to like screaming with agony because a relationship is over. It's just, um, I love both of those. It's sort of hard for me to separate sure. them. Yeah. If you had to pick though, out of that bunch to pick mm-hmm. one fire truck, which one would you settle on? I I don't think that there's any choice, but hyper valid. I think, I think hyper valid is just, um, hmm. a, a, it is one of her perfect songs. It, makes me tear up almost every single time I hear it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the video is magnificent. Sometimes the Gondry videos can go a little too like for me, but that one is, I think that one is abstract in just the right way. Um, I think the sentiment of it is, is something that I've held on for my whole life. Sure, um, sure. It's, and it's a sentiment that you don't really hear expressed that much in pop music right. where it's all full devotion or full, can I say fuck you? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. you can. Like, um, and it's somewhere, it's 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 this holding on to a sense of yourself as this really emotional, important pursuit, and um, I think that really left an impression with me from a young age, from the first time I heard this song, and then the fact that it becomes a dance song at the end of it, and this like very cathartic swell of a dance song. Mm-hmm. It feels sort of like I feel like where like Robin or somebody like took notes from for later on just this like super just bleeding heart on the dance floor like hanging on to yourself type feeling I, I just think it's a it's, it's a perfect gorgeous song be closed or open I go through all this before 
fire track. I mean, for me, I don't think it can be anything besides Army of Me be, as for reasons that we've already covered extensively. And a lot of it does have to do with, with the sequencing and placement. Just as okay. we were saying in the first half, you put that as your first song. You are clearly trying to send a message to, to people in terms of what it is that you're representing. And as I was saying in, the, in that first half, it really actually made me want to go back and look at what other were the what were the other big songs of 95? And was there anything approaching this level of aggression and energy? And like, yeah, there's some like super sinister Mob Deep stuff from that year. But this song is both sinister but also bombastic. I mean, right. it's just that the, the – the, muscular strength of, of that sound is, is really, really striking. And I didn't realize that 10 years later, it gave rise to an entire album of Army of Me remixes and covers. Mm. And it's rare that you see a single song generate that level of devotion. And I can't say that all of them worked, but it was very fun going through the different covers. And one of the ones I, I, I plucked out uh, came from a British comedian uh, named Martin White, who did the accordion mix of <laughs> Army of Me. See, that's what you place when you can't clear the whole thing. And just like, Let's just get the publishing. Put that accordion mix in. Tastemakers will know. Tastemakers will know. This can go under a car, a car chase. That's like, it. That's it. Right. That's a it. very, like, a French car chase. That's like, it. How about you, Morgan? Isabel. See, you're, you're always coming super left field with, with your fire tracks. Yo. I love that. I love Isabel. It's so good. Yeah. And the opening is sick. That is fire, and I, I just can't believe that jam didn't come up a little bit earlier in this conversation. Yeah. But that one is that one's fire. The beats, the build, her vocals, and that might have could have been the opener. Mm -hmm. If it, if oh, posted yeah. open like right. that, it would have been like, oh man, we about to go in. So yeah. that's that's my favorite, and that's uh, Nellie Hooper and Bjork. Yeah. yeah. Is that also your favorite moment on the album? It is. Okay. It is. Um, I mean, I like. There's two of my favorites favorite openers you've been flirting again is one of them mm -hmm. and this but this one because you just don't know what you're getting there's there's a it, there's like a rush and then there's like a sinister element and then there's like that drama and it's just so many things and then the beats are fire right, like right yeah. yeah, yeah. I love that transition from "You've Been Flirting Again" into Isabel. That's Ooh. why I call it like a, a Broadway album because it feels. I mean, "You've Been Flirting Again" is such an enigmatic song. Yeah. I wouldn't even think like she's said that it's about flirting, but that's not what it sounds like <laughs> no. it's about. It sounds like it's you know the end of something or like a breakup song or something, and then to go from that like this very kind of slow and sensuous and sad song into this like march right. um exactly feels so yeah just like overused word but it's epic <laughs> it's great it is epic yeah. and then to slow it down and to possibly maybe you like yeah you're like i've just been in therapy yeah. i've just <laughs> processed all my situation but that's that's what it feels like but isabel to me is the fire track yeah yeah 
my favorite moment, this goes back to It's Oh So Quiet. And it's really just when the chorus hits. And I think for most people who were not familiar with the the Betty Hutton version that we were talking about in the first half, you you don't, I mean, when when the song begins, you don't really know what you're getting in for. I mean, yeah. it feels, it does feel like a show tune because it has all those kind of classic markers. Yeah. But when the chorus hits and just the way that Bjork makes that turn and the horns, the way they drop in, and especially if you've seen the video, that's when everything goes crazy. Mm-hmm. It's just, even now, I mean, I've been listening to this song for 25 years. Yeah. I still get hyped yep. when yep. that moment comes. So peaceful until you fall in love. Simple, the sky up above. Simple is caving in. Wow! Emily, how about you? Do you have a favorite moment on this album? I have a bunch of favorite moments on yeah. this album. I, I just because it's not one that we've talked about a lot. And I think that this is a little bit of like a, like more of a, a shadow pick on here. But okay. um, I think it's like what, I guess what you would call the bridge on I Miss You, mm. um, where a lot of the instruments kind of break down and there's this sort of build. Like, there's this pull, and she's just talking about, like, I cannot wait for whoever I'm going to meet next. And then it, like, builds and builds and builds until it gets to, like, one of the screams on the album. I don't know. It's so exciting. Like you, it, it, there's just genuine tension. Like I think a lot of that that point in a lot of pop songs would feel a little obligatory. Like okay, right. we got to do something now before we do the chorus again. But yeah. this is just like revving it up, so you cannot wait for that last chorus. And it's so it's so fun. I I, I think that track is like just makes me like giddy listening to it. I also want to say that I think Bjork of this era really was masterful at engineering moments in songs mm-hmm. sure. and a lot of it goes back to what we've been talking about in terms of how she uses her voice and that that, that going from the quiet to the scream i mean she has that down on lock and yeah. so the changes in volume the changes in inflection and how she pronounces things you know she's just i think this was something that she actually thought a lot about in terms of how do i produce these moments of surprise and of shift and i'm going to give it to you multiple times across all the work i'm doing especially in the 90s right there is this thing I thought of because I was going and watching all these videos, of course, and then I ended up watching a lot more recent videos, too, and thinking about times I'd seen her live, which is two now and very recently, uh, relatively recently. But um, I think, like, you know, all the things she's doing with her voice, she's also doing with her face when she performs. Mm. And it kind of made me think, and I think this is, like, again, one of these sort of sly benefits of not having like singing and not your first language which is just like i think that there's an instinct to communicate even more through voice and through face um and through enunciation yeah. what you're saying because yeah. you're really trying to get yourself across i mean I, I don't think that's the only reason she's doing that but i think that it's one of these 
I think that uh, maybe a, a native English speaker wouldn't necessarily be that like forceful getting these things across, and it's yeah. um, and it, it makes it so much more exciting. I would also want to just add. This came to me earlier. Is that just the song titles are so great on here? I mean, Army of Me is instantly like, what does that mean? Right. Hyper mm-hmm. ballad. I mean, I like ballads. I like hyper mm-hmm. stuff. But what is a hyper ballad? Right. Exactly. Right? I mean, possibly, maybe you don't even have to hear the song to already get the sense of the coyness with it. And so, mm-hmm. I just think there's such great just song titles as well. Yeah. So, yeah. Shout out to. Yeah. Burke was killing us. She was killing, mm-hmm. and, and she was asked about sequencing. Would she change it? And she said, "No, you only get one shot." Mm-hmm. And so it just is what it is. Right. But it doesn't seem haphazard. It seems oh very, no no no. Very this is a very purposeful, yeah. very purposeful. Sequ- sequenced album. Yep. We've been talking about how this album, uh, you know, and I didn't even think about this, but until I sat down to, to write the script for today, it's 25 years old. So a, co- a whole quarter century has passed since this album's come out, which only just makes me feel old. And I know, Emily, you did not necessarily pick up this album in 95, but you've clearly been sitting with it for at least 20 plus years. What do you hear differently when you listen to this album now as opposed to when you first picked mm-hmm. it up in Iowa City? I've been thinking about this a lot because... Um, because another one of the albums that I suggested for this was a Fiona Apple album, mm-hmm. um, at a similar time period that I got into her and was really into her. And I feel like, um, I've been really noticing as I get older, going back to albums that were made by artists, the age that I am now, because they were always older than me. So, you know, you kind of think of this, like the, when you're a teenager and you're listening to Bjork and this, it's like, oh, well, this is all adult shit that she's talking about. Sure. Um, but but when you get past that age or when you find yourself in that same stage of life or going through the same sort of um, relationship moments that she's singing about, it just deepens your appreciation for it so much. Like this was like a this is like a mid 20s album for her. So I think mm. I think the adventurousness of the album perfectly reflects that. That is this is like the perfect album to make when you're at that time in your life. And now mm. I'm a little bit older than that. <laughs> Rub it in. <laughs> But um, but like going back and listening then to like Vespertine or um, or Medulla and stuff like I I I have a newfound appreciation for these albums now, mm. um, and I think that's that's you can only get that from like growing up with an artist and just consistently listening to their work, yeah. which you're only going to do that with like the best stuff. So, sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. If you had to describe Post in three words, what three words would you choose? Um, okay, one is a hyphenate. Okay. But it's it's one of hers. We'll count. Go ahead. We'll count that. Self-sufficient. Okay. Mm. Theatrical. Mm. And yes, uh, sweeping, I guess. I don't know. It, I, I, I hesitate to use that because there are so many parts of this album, but I still feel like, like, especially when we were talking about Isabel and you've been flirting again, like there's this like, momentum to the whole album no matter how many different things it gets into that you just feel like you're being carried along on this journey yeah um and i i love that every like it's it's it is an album you listen to for beginning to end for that reason and i reason i and i said you said hmm after i said self-sufficient but i do think that so lyrically so many of these songs are about being self-sufficient that was an affirming hmm. Not, oh, okay. not a questioning hmm. Oh, okay. Because, well, I mean, like, musically, I don't, like, I think that it's very collaborative. Right, right. Like, very opposite of the mood that she's singing about. But I think that, you know, Hyper Ballad just being the song about about being able to be emotionally self-sufficient, even when you are in a, in a committed relationship, is right. just a great sentiment.
Lastly, we usually do recommendations for the next thing that people should listen to, and me and Morgan are going to give our recommendations for if you are a fan of Post and what you want to check out next. And we would have had Emily do it, except we totally forgot to tape that when we had her in the studio. So our apologies to Emily. But what I would recommend, so if you're a fan of Bjork's Post, go with Rufus Wainwright's second album. So I'm I'm keeping the theme of sophomore albums. And Rufus's second album was called Poses. It came out in 2001. And I think like Post, Poses was an album that really got people to pay attention to Rufus as someone who was emerging out onto the pop scene back in the early 2000s. And there are, I think, similarities that you can draw between the ways in which Rufus, like Bjork, was very much is very much a Baroque pop artist. And the way that he uses his voice in inflections doesn't sound like Bjork at all. But the same kind of dramatic, stylized vocalization, I think, is something that Rufus does in a way that you can draw parallels with that in, in Bjork. And I'll say this much, too, is that Poses is one of my absolute favorite albums of the 21st century. And I don't remember if I've ever given Rufus Wainwright love on Heat Rocks before, but I love, love, love Rufus. And Poses was my gateway into listening to Rufus Wainwright. And I just this album still holds up nearly 20 years later. My recommendation would be go back to last year and get into an artist if you're not familiar with FKA Twigs and her album Magdalene. Um, while, you know, comparisons have been drawn to between her music and trip hop, massive attack and tricky. I think some of her intonations and the way she bodies certain songs will be Bjork reminiscent, the whispery vocals, um, the very interesting persona and the very interesting artwork. And I think she mixes the ethereal with pop and R&B. And I think it's not uh, not much of a departure to go from post to Magdalene. A woman's war, unoccupied history. True nature won't search to destroy if it doesn't make sense. Well, that will do it for this episode of Heat Rocks with our guest, Emily Yoshida. What are you working on right now? I am wrapping up Shogun and working on some other projects, including a feature film, Double Fingers Crossed. I'm saying it on air, so maybe it'll happen. (laughs) But um, yeah, just uh, continuing with the TV and film stuff right now. And um, Still recording Night Call? Yes, still doing Night Call. Um, Yeah, we're on the the iHeartMedia network, and we come out every Monday. And where can people find you out there on the interwebs? Mostly on Twitter, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> I am. I mean, I've been taking a break because I've been writing, but I'm still like, oh, I'm still on this thing, aren't I? Um, I'm at Emily Yoshida on Twitter. Um, that's probably the best place to, to see whatever I'm doing and thinking about and yelling about. <laughs> well, welcome back to Los Angeles. Thank, Thank you so much for coming through today. Thank you Thank very you. much. Thank you for making this album. Yeah. You've been listening to Heat Rocks with me, Oliver Wong and Morgan Rhodes. Our theme music is Crown Ones by Thess One of People Under the Stairs. Shout out to Thess for the hookup. Heat Rocks is produced by myself and Morgan, alongside Christian Duenas, who also edits, engineers, and does the booking for our shows. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher, and our executive producer is Jesse Thorne.
We are part of the Maximum Fun family, taping every week live in their studios in the Westlake neighborhood of Los Angeles, where it is almost never oh so quiet. <laughs> we want to thank all of our five-star iTunes reviewers, the latest of whom is Lindy Wasp, who comments specifically about our recent show as part of the Music and Popcorn series about The Bodyguard. And Lindy Wasp wrote, wrote in to say, quote, I love the show. It is one of the few podcasts I never miss. The two of you are as much fire together as the jams you explore. Mm. Oh, that is so sweet. And Lindsay, Lindsay Wasp also gives shouts out to April Wolf. And uh, this is the recommendation that they have as to who should play Kevin Costner uh, in a Rihanna Whitney Houston remake. Chris Pine. Had to be one of the Chris's, I feel uh, yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. Hemsworth right. or Pine. Yeah. I can roll with Pine. I'm, I'm, fine I'm not with mad that. at that. Yeah. I'm not mad just, at that. Just no more samurai sword scenes. He's, <laughs> he's, <laughs> I feel you. he's dreamy, but he's got to come correct. We also want to shout out our social media fans and family, including the following. And first of all, before I go there, I want to just shout out all of our social media people for having just the best social media handles. So we got to start with Bacon from Macon, okay, <laughs> uh, who really enjoyed the deep dive into Brandy's Full Moon uh, with our guest PJ Morton. We also want to thank, uh, we also want to shout out, wow, former, a former guest, Evelyn McDonald, who shouted out the Man of Child episode. Um, really love that with Ernest Hardy. Uh, we also want to shout out Podcast Playlist, who really liked our episode with uh, uh, Lene Denise and Aretha Franklin. Mm-hmm. We also want to um, shout out KK Bracken, who liked the Whitney Houston episode about the bodyguard. So many people like that episode. Thank you so much. And as always, shouting out Chris Malanfi for holding us down and always giving us love on the socials. And just to circle back, we want to really, really thank Podcast Playlist because they replayed one of our episodes, which was heard across Canada. Indeed. And so if we have a new fan base up there in the great north welcome to heat rocks hope you stay with us thank you so much and also shout out to lost in williamsburg for always holding us down including last week uh good to see you Oliver. good to see you too morgan one last thing here it's a teaser for next week's episode which features chicago by way of vegas actually i guess he's in la now yeah but it's going to be producer and artist cam obi is here to join us to talk about Kanye West's second album, sophomore album. Doing a lot of sophomore albums lately. I like that. Late registration. Indeed. So, and I was like um, really into music. So I remember going to school and telling my friends, like, I think I was in seventh grade, sixth or seventh grade that year. And um, I was like, yo, this dude, he's coming out with an album. And like, at first they were like, okay, you know. But then I kept talking about him. Like, man, I'm telling you, Kanye West... And they got mad at me. Like, they were like, dude, shut up about this dude, Kanye West. And I'll never forget, 2004, it was two years after that, uh, I was in eighth grade, he dropped, college dropout, and then everyone knew him. Yeah. And so I always had this special connection I felt to him, because I was like, I you knew him. You were early. Exactly. You were early on him. <laughs> yes, I was early, yes. 